Welcome to Coloring the Melody. I'm Nora. And I'm Darlene. And we are two female music teachers of color discussing the realities of life and aiming to break the norm in education. Our mission with this podcast is to contribute a different voice in topics such as music, education, faith, and multiculturalism. So sit back and enjoy. So welcome to episode one, Woo-hoo! right? We're so excited. Darlene and I are so stoked. Um, today we are going to be discussing breaking oppressive cycles in colorism. And one of the reasons why Darlene and I started um, this podcast is because we are two women of color who met in a white-centered university. And the reason and purpose for the podcast is um, we're using this platform for us to discuss the norm outside of education and to challenge our own ideologies and to bring awareness to our listeners. Um, One of the words that kind of pops up when thinking about this podcast is outliers. One of my friends described it very well and she is referencing it or creating or doing stuff for all kids who don't fit in a nice little bubble. In other words, people and students who are considered outliers. Right, Darlene? Yes. I feel like that is definitely something that is not talked about enough. And we are super excited to address some of the hard issues in education with this podcast. But just to clarify, we don't know everything. (laughs) We are lifelong learners. Yes. And although we are not super experts, we Mm -hmm. do bring experience and we do bring a unique voice that we feel is not represented enough, especially in the music education world. So our goal is for you to figure out why we named the podcast Coloring the Melody. All right, we are going to start off with a little game (laughs) with Would You Rather, so our listeners can get to know us a little bit better. So I will start. I'm going to ask a question to Nora. Would you rather have unlimited international first-class tickets or never have to pay for food at restaurants? Ooh. (laughs) Choosing between food and travel. Right? Oh, this is a hard one. I would say have unlimited international first-class tickets. Hmm. Okay. Why? (laughs) Because I can travel. You know, I feel like those are tickets to travel are more expensive. That's true. Versus, like, food, then... I mean, I love food, don't get me wrong, but i rather eat homemade meals. Mm-hmm. Cook for mom, yeah. Explore the world, yeah. I love it. Okay, I'm ready for my question. All right, okay. Would you rather lose the ability to read or lose the ability to speak? Ooh, oh, this is good. Mm. Now, oh, I don't, am I allowed to ask this? Does yes. losing the ability to speak mean I also lose the ability to sing? Ooh, sure. I just I just Why took not? it oh goodness I just took it to a different level <laughs> lose the ability to read why because I feel that I would need to 
communicate with mm-hmm. my voice and I would find alternative ways to understand things. Yeah, like um, listening to podcasts. Yeah, listening to podcasts. Um, and also, I'm just thinking, like, when I learn a different language, I also look at the context mm. um, behind different words. Goodness, this is hard. But especially now that I took it to a different level, <laughs> losing, losing the ability to sing, too. But that's what I would choose, losing the ability to read. Yeah. Okay, I'll do one more for you, Nora. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather be an unimportant character in the last movie you saw or an unimportant character in the last book you read? So this is assuming that <laughs> you remember the last movie you saw and the last book you read. Oh. Um, unimportant character in the last movie. What movie did you watch? <laughs> to be honest, I don't remember. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, so unimportant. <laughs> so they're both unimportant, oh, I guess. No. But if I had to choose, oh no! Oh my goodness! Okay, okay I, moving I, on. I have one more for you. Okay. okay. Would you rather be covered in fur or what? covered in scales? Ooh. Okay, maybe my reaction already gave it away. <laughs> I think I'd rather be covered in fur. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, when you think, when I think of fur, I think, oh, puppies. Yes. People like to pet puppies. When I see scales, I go, oh, scales. Yeah. I don't go, oh, I, oh, I totally <laughs> want to. I mean, some, so there are some people that don't want to yeah. touch that. But when I think scales, I think snakes. Oh, no, no. And gosh. I'm just, no, <laughs> that's, that's a no for me. <laughs> Okay, so for today's podcast, we are going to talk about colorism. So one of the things a person of color encounters is oppression. However, oppression is a topic that has many layers and is multifaceted. And one of the types of oppression is colorism, which we will focus on today. So what is it? What is colorism? It stems from this systemic issue that whiteness is real. So the closer Mm -hmm. you are to whiteness, the more intelligent, the more Mm -hmm. beautiful, and the more rewarded you are. According to the Oxford Dictionary, colorism is prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone. And here's the important part typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group. So the big questions we are trying to answer in this podcast today. Number one, where did anti-dark skin come from? Mm. How do we reverse this thinking as educators of color Mm -hmm. who has seen colorism happen in our culture? Okay, well... Now I am going to be talking about my experience with colorism. So just to give you a little bit background about me, I am a child to immigrant parents. I am full Hispanic. My father is from Guerrero, Mexico, and my mother is from Morelos, Cuernavaca. I am one of six children and a first-generation college student who pursued a double bachelor's degree in music education and music and worship. Woohoo! Double major! <laughs> a master's degree in education and currently pursuing a doctorate in educational leadership. So just to define 
um, a first-generation college student, um, Darlene and I are referencing it as someone who was not raised in a home by at least one parent figure who attended, graduated from a four-year accredited college or university. Now, regarding colorism, I did not fully wrap my mind that it was an issue until I went to a predominantly white university. Hmm. Um, I began to feel insecure and ashamed of being Hispanic. To be honest, I don't know where that stemmed from. But I did begin to compare my, my skin color and culture. Why did I feel ashamed? Well, because I didn't fit the status quo. And if I'm candid, the first question, Darlene, the first question that I, I was I was asked when meeting a counselor was, "Are you sure you're going to be able to afford this university?" What? Wait, why did they? Why did they say that? They just looked at me and thought, "Why well, can't you afford the, it?" Well, the counselor looked at me up and down, and oh. well, I'm. It will remain anonymous. She was Caucasian, and I just said she was a she <laughs> ignore that part um but yeah she looked at me up and down and i feel like she did catch herself doing that and i remember just walking out of the counseling office and just being like oh crud am i making the right choice or not hmm. but then i just i prayed about it and then the second counselor that that helped me out he he was african-american the sweetest guy ever he took the time to educate me mm-hmm. about like how to go about paying um biola scholarships and he walked me through and i feel like that was god's grace and just seeing what i wanted to be and what i didn't want to be hmm. you know what a difference yeah those what counselors. no seriously hmm. right um but throughout the years that i attended the university there were ups and downs um like any other place I observed how the minority and people of color were treated. A simple look of, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. It's a glimpse of discrimination and colorism. On the contrary, I also observed mercy, just like this counselor, grace, the compassion of white Caucasian people towards people of color. So let me be clear. My experience at this university was amazing. That's how I met Darlene and other amazing um friends and educators um but the first year that i attended was actually hard it was but it was when i overcame my insecurities that and then i confronted them and spoke truth over myself such as i am a child of god and i was chosen for a purpose and god also brought a few professors directors and friendships to encourage me to graduate and saw past my skin color i say a few because some made me feel less and did look um, down upon me. Huh, yeah. Wow, Nora, we've known each other for so long. And it's yeah. crazy that you talk about this because I do remember um, you telling me these stories mm-hmm. too while we were in college. Mm-hmm. And even, and I don't, I haven't even told this to you, but I would also overhear people mm-hmm. saying things where I thought, mm, I don't think they should be yeah. saying those things just because you know they don't they don't know you they don't know your mm-hmm. heart they just mm-hmm. see you on the outside and yeah. to hear things like oh maybe you should do this instead yeah. thinking no this girl can no Nora can definitely do much bigger <laughs> things than what you yeah. think she could do so it has been so encouraging to see you not just graduate but also just flourish yeah. as an educator mm-hmm. and also pursuing your doctorate yeah 
Yeah. That's crazy. So I guess one of the questions to ponder, um, why is colorism so widespread but not not often talked yeah. about? And how colorism is impacted in the Hispanic community? Another question that kind of pops into my mind is, what are the standards of beauty according mm. to colorism? Where and how is this learned? Is it often used in the media to represent good, while darkness is often used to represent bad? And what are some actions that educators and everyone should take around challenging and ending colorism? So just being an educator has generally opened my eyes to see the media, books, Mm. and even advertisements significantly influence colorism. Yep. So did I ever think that colorism was an issue within the Hispanic community? Not at all. Does colorism exist in Latin America? That's a totally different question. Yes, colorism does exist within the Hispanic community. Like for instance, news anchors or soap, soap opera actors. Most people in the media platforms look Caucasian or light skin color, are categorized as beauty and are a good representation that colorism does exist. I love numbers, so some statistics because I feel that numbers can speak for itself. According to the Pew Research Center survey, about six in 10 US Hispanic adults, 58% say that they have experienced discrimination or even mistreated because of their race or ethnicity. Wow. However, their experiences vary in skin color. Oh. Right? So Mm. in addition, about two-thirds of Hispanic with darker color, 64% report that they have experienced discrimination or been mistreated regularly um, from time to time compared with half of those with the lighter tone. Crazy, right? So crazy. Now, I'm going to read this because I feel like if, if, if I share the statistics it's more valid than what I'm gonna say, right? So Mm -hmm. therefore, according to these percentages, the research concludes that Hispanic with darker skin are more likely to experience discrimination than lighter skin. Again, I am not claiming this statement because my opinion can be biased. Statistics and percentages have validity to this statement. Thank you for sharing that, Nora. Of course. Well, I'm not going to talk so much about statistics. Mm -hmm. I'm going to focus a little bit more on my experience as a Filipina. So um, both my parents were born and raised in the Philippines, and then they both moved to the United States to get married. I have um, two younger brothers, and I'm actually the oldest grandchild on my mom's side, too. In college, I went on to pursue a double major in a piano performance and music education. So Nora and I are all about that double major life. Hashtag yes. no sleep. <laughs> Seriously, um, though. Right, right. And, um, and I'm currently pursuing a master's in music education mm. at Vandercook College of Music. Hashtag mm. no summer. <laughs> JK, JK. So, um, so speaking of being Filipino, and I'm... Another part of Filipino culture is that there is this anti-dark skin attitude Mm. um, in people's mindsets, and there's this worship of the light skin. 
I see it also even within families. So yes, really? it is possible to have colorism in your own family. I've seen how how some of my aunties and uncles would treat members who were darker just a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, it could be a bunch of different reasons. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, it part of it is their skin color mm. too. So colorism, colorism is definitely a huge thing in being a Filipina. I guarantee you, if you ask any Filipino child who has been out in the sun, playing outside, <laughs> they will tell you, oh yeah, my parents or my auntie or my uncle would say, hey, come back inside. And they will not say that because, oh, we're trying to protect you from getting skin cancer. No, they just want you to go inside because they do not want you to get dark because Mm. being dark being tan equals ugly Mm. and then there's tends to be misunderstanding even when it comes to wearing sunscreen and sunblock so i remember being a kid being told over and over again you have to wear sunblock you have to wear sunscreen to protect your skin from not getting tan and then my skin would end up getting tan because that's just what skin does And of course, I wasn't burnt. And I remember, you know, coming inside and going, oh, here I go. And I would get yelled at because my skin got darker. That's it. Poor I know. I'm thinking, well, I didn't do anything wrong. It was just me me being a kid playing outside. outside. Yeah. Um, But of course, it just doesn't register to some some of these parents that sunscreen (laughs) does not prevent you from getting tan. Yeah. Yeah, it's very normal to hear, oh... Look, don't spend too much time in the sun. You're now your skin is going to be ugly. Mm. I mean, it sounds really harsh, but it's something that's definitely common in my childhood growing up. Which I also find very ironic that when you talk to white people, mm. they brag and go, "Oh, look at my new tan! Look at this new bronzer I have!" Yeah. So I, I've always found that very interesting how it's totally flipped. That, so while in yeah the white culture there's bronzers and tanning lotions, in the Filipino culture we have papaya soap, oh. and we have skin whiteners, and that's a big thing in the Filipina beauty industry. Wow, I yeah. Didn't know that. And well, I will admit that I was never given one of these whiteners because, according to some Filipinos, I'm quote unquote pale as the moon. I'm considered oh. more of the the light skin ones. Oh, okay. I've even been told, and I mean, I didn't find this a compliment after all. Mm-hmm. I've been told that I look too white to be Filipino, or my my last, not my current last name, but my former last name um, didn't sound Filipino, mm-hmm. whatever that means. And I think what they meant is that it didn't sound like a typical name influenced by a colonizer. Because oh, you know okay. how the yeah, Philippines... Yeah, yeah was conquered by you know, Spain. Well, mm-hmm. speaking of that, yeah. so this is where I feel like a lot of the colorism has occurred. It's from all these layers of colonization. Mm. So we have the Spanish, yeah. they colonize. And then we have American colonization. And then there's Japanese intervention. Guess what they all have in common? They were all fair mm. or light-skinned. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So there's this this preference for white White beauty, yes, Mm -hmm. that have come from all these outsider peoples that 
when it came to people who were dark-skinned Filipinos who were of this darker color, yeah. they would just associate them with these poor laborers, while those with lighter skin or those who were of mixed race, mm. they associated them being in the upper class. So in the culture, beauty is meant to be provided more by women. So colorism huh. definitely affects women more. And so it's definitely dangerous because then when you go to the beauty aisle, all you see is whitening creams. And then on front of the labels, you'll see light skinned ladies with, you know, flowing dark hair, but you will never see a, a tan Filipino. And oh. it's really interesting because the other day I was in a Filipino supermarket mm-hmm. and there was this huge mural of a bunch of Filipino families playing in this town, like, oh, how cute. And then I look closely and and all of them had different shades of dark hair. Some had brown hair, some had dark brown hair, some had mm-hmm. black hair, but every single person had the same light skin. Wow. And this was a mural in a wow. Filipino supermarket. So it's not just even in beauty products, it's even- It's everywhere you Yeah, go. it's everywhere, it's in art. So I have a Filipina friend who also has a story to share about her experiences with colorism. So in one of her uh, her orchestra ensembles, she had noticed that all the quote-unquote brown people were sitting in the back. So what that meant was all the black, the Mexican, and mm. the dark-skinned Asians mm. didn't move past a certain point in that section. Wow. So there was a time in one of her classes where her music ed professors asked, hey, has there ever been a situation where you felt othered? And nine of those students in that class raised their hand and said, yes, we all felt othered in orchestra. And it was due to colorism. And I feel like it, it is, it's going to sound a little harsh but there was even segregation within the classroom yeah i mean it's hard to even say that but it did exist Mm -hmm. and what she was telling me was that even if they were so good at their musical skill they never made it to the front interesting Interesting. Yes. And so what that music ed professor did was she heard those stories and then she eventually did bring it up to the the, the director, the conductor of the strings ensemble. It's interesting because she thought, well, if it was just one person who who mentioned that and like, okay, I'll just let it but go. It but nine. it was nine. And it was all of them. It was all of them. And they all just happened to be, you know, they all happened to be of darker skin color. And... I almost, I almost want to go back to what that music ed professor said. Even like, I know she had good, good intentions behind saying, like, "Oh, I want to bring this up," but the fact that she said, "Oh, if it was just one person, like mm. whatever," but I'm like, no, the fact that one person said that, that's yeah. already enough. Yeah. But because there were nine, that that is a true issue there. Of course, and, and yeah. it, it, like, like you mentioned, it was it was the minority. It was the people of color that were. Like in the back and I think that just brings up the questions that you are going to be sharing with everybody like what are those questions that you want to bring up to everybody to reflect upon mm-hmm. so while it is impossible mm-hmm. to completely tear down cultural mindsets that mm-hmm. have been so ingrained in some people 
I believe that it is our duty to dismantle the effects uh, yes. of it mm-hmm. and how we could and how we could brainstorm more ways and to not let this cycle of colorism happen again in the next generation. So, yeah, what are some possible solutions to this? What do you think, Nora? Well, I guess the question that we should ask ourselves as educators is, as educators, what do we do? Mm. And looking within ourselves and see what biases we have. Yes. Is Mm -hmm. our perception of beauty limited to only white skin? Our preferences? Why? Where, uh, Where does that come from? Or sometimes we don't even want to admit that ourselves... But are we truly um, reflecting on our own thoughts? Just like that professor that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's like we think that colorism doesn't exist, but we really have to ask ourselves, are we doing that as well in our classrooms? Mm-hmm. We, and I think it's so important for, for us because the kids, the kids are sponges. Oh, yeah. They look at everything that we do. We mm-hmm. can say one thing, but it's like, do we preach what we teach? Mm-hmm. That's the, the true question that we need to ask ourselves. So being incredibly mindful in featuring all skin tones in our children's literature yep. mm-hmm. is so important. Even posters of, of people, us in our case, that were music educators. Uh, you mentioned this uh, prior to... Uh, Solfage hand signs. Yes. I know we didn't say we were not filming it right now, but we talked about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and being intentional in making uh, sure that there are dark ones. Yeah. As well. mm-hmm. um, our posts on social media are you fully representing all cultures or just one? Mm-hmm. Um, who are your friends, your yeah. circle friends? Um, and who are the people that you follow on Instagram? Yep, that's a big thing too. And just in, and also like uh, being a leader in our church, in in my church in particular, um, the children's worship director is like I have to ask myself like, am I representing all skin colors in Latin America, or am I just like being meticulous and choosing one because hmm, it's defined yeah. as beauty, um, or am I representing all cultures, or or, or just one, you know? Because even Latin America is is so big that. Am I just choosing uh, people that represent Mexicans, or mm-hmm. am I being intentional and also rep- um, having representation of Salvadorians, mm. people from Honduras or, or Peru? It's like it, there's it. It's so big, you know, and and to even fathom of of that idea is like, am I being biased as well, even in my Hispanic community? Yeah, and tying on to what you said about like posters and children's literature mm-hmm. is. We can't just say, oh, yes, now I'm just going to add this one Mm -hmm. book that features a Chinese girl. Mm -hmm. Now I'm just going to feature this one poster that has kids from India playing. No, like, Mm -hmm. be be truly mindful of, are they just light-skinned people Mm -hmm. from China? Hmm? Because I do know some people from China who are tan. Of course. Um, Of course, we know that literature is not perfect. Of course. But we do want to look carefully at especially in the images where it shows a group of people Mm -hmm. for me as an educator i look really closely at uh at illustrations where they show okay and here are all the people singing and here the people all gathered together are they all Mm. light-skinned do they feature 
somebody in a wheelchair? Do you good, see good. different hair textures? I mean, that's kind of branching outside the realm of colorism. Of course. But um, those are important things to see because you want your students to say, oh, that's, oh, that's me. me. That's yeah, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That feeling of identifying. Yeah, themselves. exactly. I even feel that way. That I still feel that way even when I'm watching random Netflix shows too. Ah. Where um, I'll I see what was I watching the other day? Oh, it was Love on the Spectrum on Netflix. It's oh. about people with disabilities trying to date each other. Okay. It's very interesting. I think it takes place in Australia. So. Um, me and my husband were Filipino and there was this, you know, Asian man that popped up and both of us were going, oh, that's, that's us. And I'm thinking like, like, look at us. Like, here we are excited to see that we are represented in this because we are so used to seeing, you know, the dominant race always featured. So for us to see an Asian is like, oh my goodness. Yes. There we are. It's it's so true. (laughs) And so if we're feeling that way as adults, oh my goodness, how do our students feel? then mm-hmm. exactly so i think us as leaders or teachers mm-hmm. or any platform of leadership that you guys may have you guys need to ponder in this question how can you step in a leadership role to make sure your color is being seen and represented your color and also other colors as well we are going to leave you with two quotes that makes you think about colorism. The first quote is, to teach is to learn twice. And that's by Joseph Joubert. I feel like that's an important quote to think about, especially in this time now. So we are recording this in the summer of 2020, which is definitely in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic. And so a lot of us are starting to feel like first-year teachers mm-hmm. all over again. And then there are first-year teachers, you know, mm-hmm. learning how to teach in a way that they have not prepared for. So I think it's important for us to also remember that as teachers, we never stop learning and that we should continue to be in the same footsteps as our students. So Nora, what's your quote? My quote is um, by Carl Menninger, and he stated, what a teacher is, is more important than what he teaches. Mm. And now see this COVID-19 as a blessing in disguise. It gives you the opportunity to create PowerPoints in where you are able to represent different characters in where you are able to really think deep in how colorism is influenced in media, you get to change that with your kids. You may not change the whole world, but you are impacting your kids. Your kids are looking up to you. And remember, every kid matters. Yep, every kid definitely matters no matter what their skin color is. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Coloring the Melody. If you liked what you just heard, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to connect, please feel free to email us at coloringthemelodypodcast at gmail.com or visit us on Instagram at coloringthemelodypodcast. This is Darlene. And this is Nora. And we challenge you to think about how you can color your your melody. melody.